Yeah, thanks for uh, supporting Aaron. I know a lot of you asked questions and encouraged him while he was on sabbatical. And uh, sabbatical is, when I got to go on sabbatical, it just was a great opportunity for me to learn and grow uh, more about God and about myself, about my family. And uh, I, th I think just in the short time that I've had to interact with Aaron since he's been back, I think, you know, Aaron has become a changed person in some good ways. So it'll be fun to see how that plays out over the course of the next few weeks and months and years. Well, if I, I think I forgot to mention uh, that my name is Brian Asker. I'm one of the pastors here. My wife, Sandy, uh, is uh, the other pastor here at Crosby Rosa Parks, and she's actually in Red Wing, uh, Minnesota today. She's preaching at a friend's uh, church, uh, another covenant church there in Red Wing, and um, so excited for her uh, to share but I want to start this morning by asking, how many of you have ever faced discouragement? Okay, yeah, that's universal. That's what I thought, just making sure. Uh, some of the reasons why you might face discouragement or be discouraged, uh, maybe you pay a lot of attention to the news cycle. And if you did, I wouldn't be surprised if you were a little overwhelmed or discouraged, you know. News cycles are fast and abundant these days, but they also seem to have a lot of negativity. But chances are, it's more likely that you've been hurting, or a family member has been hurting, or you're facing a situation where you just don't see how you can get through to the other side of that situation. And it's discouraging. Maybe you threw out your back, or you've got a major health problem, and you're just like, I have no idea when this is going to end. Or maybe you've got a sour relationship, and the thought of spending time with that person is overwhelming, and you just can't, you're just like, oh man, I have no idea how we could fix this thing. Or maybe there's a challenging thing at work that you just can't figure out, and you're like, there's no way that I could ever fix this problem. It's just going to be there forever. Or maybe you're just frustrated with the state of the American church today. That could be true as well. Or you're a student and you're just, I just don't know how I could ever figure out how to solve these problems. And I'm going to avoid those, that class as soon as I get to college or whatever. You know, like <laughs> I'm going to stay away from that thing. And when we're in these situations, when we're frustrated, when we're discouraged, we usually ask ourselves a couple questions. One is, when will it end? When is this thing going to come to completion so I can move on? I'm ready to get rid of the discomfort. The other one that I think we often ask is, where is God? Where is God in this situation? I just don't understand. Well, this week, we get to look at one man's journey through discouragement. Are you excited? We're going to look at 1 Kings chapter 19. It's part of our series on uh, wisdom from the book of 1 Kings. And we've said that wisdom is making good choices. Sometimes I think we're tempted to think that if I just make all of the right choices, that somehow everything will go well. Even in Christian circles, we have this sense of, like, if I just obey all of God's laws, then my life is going to go well. I'm not going to have any problems. Am I right? We, we slip into this sort of thinking. Well, unfortunately, that's not how it works. 
literally everybody that I know faces discouragement at some point in life. And in 1 Kings uh, chapter 19 today, we're going to see that, the, that Elijah, a prophet of God, is discouraged to the point where he literally asks for his life to be taken. So let's jump into 1 Kings chapter 19, uh, starting in verse 1. Uh, should be hopefully up on the screen momentarily. Uh, you can also open up uh, your mobile Bible device, and we do have it on the Crossview app. Uh, you can tap on the Bible verse for this week and follow along. It says, Now Ahab told Jezebel everything Elijah had done and how he had killed the prophets with the sword. So Jezebel sent a messenger to Elijah to say, May the gods deal with me, be it ever so severely, if by this time tomorrow I do not make your life like that of one of them. So let's get into some background here so we can understand a little bit of the story. Let's frame the context of this. This is about 57 years after the death of Solomon, who we, we've been talking about in this series. Israel has now been divided into two different kingdoms. There's a northern kingdom and a southern kingdom. And Ahab is the king of the northern kingdom of Israel. And he is married to this woman, Jezebel, who's mentioned here, who is from the Sidonian people group, and they are worshipers of the god Baal. Her father was actually a priest of Baal, uh, so pretty important, and she promoted open opposition to God. And she even had a lot of the altars to the God of Israel, our God, torn down and numerous prophets killed. So in chapter 18, Elijah starts complaining to God, God, I'm the only one left. I'm the only prophet left. Jezebel has killed all of the other prophets. Come on, where are you? What are you doing? He's discouraged. Ahab comes to him and has a conversation, and Ahab accuses Elijah of causing trouble for Israel. And that's the breaking point for Elijah. He's like, no. The problem is not me. You're the problem. You've been worshiping this other god, Baal. And so, to prove that I'm right, we're going to have a showdown. We're going to have a duel. I want you to get some bulls, and I'm going to ha have you gather all of the prophets of Baal, and they can build an altar, and I'll build an altar to the God of Israel. And whoever's God sends down fire is the God who should be worshipped. You ready? And they say, this is a great idea. Let's do it. They say, this is acceptable. And the prophets of Baal work themselves into this huge frenzy. They're going crazy all day trying to call down fire onto the altar. And Elijah's sort of mocking them. Eventually, Elijah says, all right, everybody, I want you to douse the altar in water. Not once, not twice, but three times so that there's literally a moat of water around the altar. And then he prays to God and asks God to bring fire. And the entire altar, along with all of the water, is consumed by the fire. It's a pretty awesome story. And as I was growing up listening to that story, 
I thought, how in the world could you have enough faith to ask for that duel and then pray for that to happen? I mean, Elijah's this amazing person. He's clearly got it all together. I mean, he literally won the duel. And the response that people have is they fall down and they worship God. And on some, in so many ways, Elijah is vindicated. Because the people realize who the true God is, the God of Israel. But our text also tells us that Elijah had all the prophets of Baal killed. And you might be wondering in our modern day world, how is that okay? And I would say it's probably not okay. Uh, this is one of those where I think Elijah's judgment or decision probably does not actually line up with God's commands. Probably not prescriptive, it's more just descriptive of what happened. Uh, but we also don't fully know uh, what's happening because the text doesn't really say anything about this. And I think part of that is because ancient Near East culture would have been like, yeah, that's of course, that's what you would have done. So the, the narrator is actually silent about this. But we do know that when Ahab tells Jezebel about this story and about how Elijah had killed these prophets, she is just so mad. And so she calls for Elijah's death in verse 2. And in verse 3, it says that Elijah was so afraid that he ran for his life. And when he came to Beersheba in Judah, which is part of the southern kingdom, he left his servant there. While he himself went a day's journey into the wilderness, he came to a broom bush, sat down under it, and prayed that he might die. I've had enough, Lord, he said. Take my life. I am no better than my ancestors. Then he lay down under the bush and fell asleep. And how many of us have been there, in that place, where we're just so discouraged? We just want to give up. Maybe the health issue is so big that you're just like, life isn't worth living anymore. Or maybe... You just want to give up on that sour relationship. I just don't even ever want to see that person again. Just remove them from my life. Or maybe you just want to quit your job. I was talking to a friend this week. He got a letter that had a four-figure fine. He's like, that's it. I'm out. He had done something in his job that was, you know, the government really didn't like. So, I get it. I had that moment this spring for myself. Sandy and I found out that we owed literally a third of our income in taxes. There had been a few different mistakes that had been made. And I thought, okay, this is it. I'm out. I got to quit. I got to quit my job. Sandy can run the church. I... Maybe you don't know this because uh, you're new, but I have an IT background, uh, and I thought, I guess I'm going into IT. I can make a bazillion dollars in IT, and maybe I can dig us out of this hole. <laughs> I 
Elijah had taken on the prophets of Baal. And he had called down fire. He had a powerful prayer life. Other parts of 1 Kings talk about the fact that he prayed that rain would not come, and it did not come. And then he later prayed that there would be rain, and it came. He raised a widow's son from the dead. I mean, you would think that this guy, of all people, would never get discouraged. He'd done some amazing things. Like I said, I grew up in church, and when we looked at the prophet Elijah, we saw him as a hero. We never talked about the fact that he got to this place of desperation. We didn't talk about the reality that he felt alone so many times. And I think when we face that place of discouragement, when we feel alone, that's when it's the hardest. That's when it hits home the most. But when Elijah was alone, he still cried out to God. And continuing in verse 5, it says, All at once an angel touched him and said, Get up and eat. He looked around, and there by his head was some bread baked over hot coals mm. and a jar of water. He ate and drank and then lay down again. The angel of the Lord came a second time and touched him and said, Get up and eat, for the journey is too much for you. So he got up and drank, ate and drank. He strength, strengthened by that food. He traveled 40 days and 40 nights until he reached Horeb, the mountain of God. There he went into a cave and spent the night. Friends, this is the good news. When Elijah was in the wilderness, when he was, when he wanted to die, when he, when he was, he felt like he was all alone. God was with him. And when Elijah cried out to God, God heard his cry. God sent an angel to touch him. God provided food and Elijah was strengthened. Elijah experienced the reality that God is always with us. No matter what, no matter where you are, God is always with you. And that's good news. It's good news for us. It may seem like the world is going to end. It may seem like you're never going to get out of the situation that you're in, the health crisis, the job that's overwhelming, it may never seem like you're going to have enough money or whatever it is. But God is with you in that place, wherever you are. God is still near. In fact, Psalm 34 verse 18 reminds us that the Lord is close to the brokenhearted and saves those who are crushed in spirit. So that's good news. But what about wisdom? This is a series about wisdom. We said wisdom is making good choices. And I don't think that Elijah made a good choice when he said to his servant, stay here. And he went off by himself. I don't think that was one of the points, the high points in Elijah's life. It's not good for us to be alone. But sometimes when we are discouraged, we just want to run away from everybody. But that's not good. It's not good for us to be alone. And sometimes we're in a bad place. Sometimes we're in that 
place of frustration and dis- disappointment and discouragement because of our own choices. But the opposite is also too true. Um, Elijah had a death threat on his life, and so sometimes we're discouraged because of very real things that are happening in our lives around us or in the friends uh, or family lives that we have around us. So we hold these two things in tension, that we contribute to our own problems, but there are also external forces at work that put us in these places. But as Christians, we still want to seek to make good choices. We want to use the wisdom of God to help us to make good choices. And so one of the choices that Elijah, I think, made that was good is he still, in the midst of that aloneness, in the midst of that discouragement, he continued to cry out to God. Every time that Elijah was in that place where he was frustrated and discouraged, he cried out to the Lord. He called on God. It's something that Elijah did regularly, and it's what led to the success back in chapter 18. He was crying out to God. He was feeling alone at that point in time. And God showed up on the altar in the duel. So I want to encourage you today, no matter what your life circumstances are, stay connected to Jesus. He is our hope. Not only for eternity, heaven, sort of this someday, but he is our hope today. We know from Revelation 21 that um, when Jesus returns a second time, there will be no more death. There will be no more mourning or crying or pain for the old order of things has passed away. So we put our hope in a God who has overcome death. And that's good for someday. But what does that mean for today? If you're discouraged by anything today or if you ever get discouraged, We know that everyone gets discouraged. It's a normal part of life. It doesn't matter how holy you are. It doesn't matter how godly you are. There are times in life where we're going to get discouraged. And sometimes just knowing that other people are facing discouragement is somewhat encouraging. Like, I'm not alone in this. And then remember, you can always cry out to God. God is always near. God is always listening to us. God understands where we're at. When Sandy and I were facing our tax crisis this spring, it was overwhelming. Um, But we cried out to God, and we invited some of our friends into the situation. And while our tax crisis is not completely solved, there are a lot of good things that are happening. And I'm feeling a lot more comfortable these days. And there's so many ways that God showed up and has already shown up. Our church, our denomination, we had somebody put a gift card in our home. We had no idea who. And God has provided for us. And I'm grateful that in the midst of this, I haven't felt alone. But sometimes we do. Uh, Reminds me of a time in my life uh, when I was working with InterVarsity and I was feeling like I was so overwhelmed with my job because I was responsible for all of the campuses north of the Twin Cities. And unfortunately, every one of the groups that we had was in a place where 
it felt like either they were going to shrink or shrivel up and no longer exist. And I felt like, I mean, that's not my job. My job is to help expand the ministry. <laughs> Things weren't going well. And part of the problem was we had lost some people. We lost a faculty advisor or a chapter president. Um, some staff had to leave. And I thought at one point in time, maybe I just, maybe I don't know what I'm doing. Maybe someone else is more qualified than me. And I wondered if I was the right person for the job. It didn't help that it was August. And if you are in any sort of you know, school-related job, August is sort of that, you, know, you can sort of feel the stress levels rising. Maybe students, you can understand this. Your stress levels are rising as we get closer. But I started praying and I started asking God, what should I do? And I heard God say, give me a year. I thought, okay, I guess, you know, it doesn't really make sense for me to quit right before the school year starts. That would be mean to my supervisor. <laughs> I said, okay, I'll give you a year, God, whatever you want, you know, I could tough it out for a year. Um, and at first, you know, there weren't a lot of things that changed. Um, but I did start contacting people, and I was able to mobilize, I don't remember anymore because it's been so long, but it's somewhere between 90 and 120 people that helped get the ministry off the ground that fall. Uh, so that was helpful. I wasn't alone. And, and then this is the craziest thing. Over the course of the next several months, I had three different people ask me if they could work for me in my area. Now, if you don't know, InterVarsity, the organization I was working for, is a nonprofit organization, which means that they ask all of their employees to raise their own funds. So you don't have people regularly knocking down your door saying, hey, can I come raise funds so I can work for you? Right? I had three people come and say, can I work for you? I was like, okay, God, I see what you're doing here. God is always at work. We can call out to God. It doesn't mean that everything is going to be fixed, but God is near. God is with you in the midst of discouragement. And we may never see a full solution on this side of eternity. And we need to be okay with that. We need to be okay with suffering and discomfort and trusting that God is enough for us. So friends, wisdom is seeking God, knowing that God is near and trusting God even in the midst of discouragement. So let's pray. God, thank you for your word. Thank you for your reminder that even people like the prophet Elijah who are so amazing, who can call down fire, get discouraged. And thank you for the reminder that when Elijah called out to you that you were there, you sent an angel to him and that you send your angels to us today. When we are discouraged, you are with us. You are near. You love us. You care more about the things that we care about than we do. And so, Lord, would you encourage us today and would you help us to encourage other people? Amen.